Hey guys, but once again, it is your boy Sean Ryan Random and better known as the Solution Guru over here with my main man Keith Carey, aka K2 Suave. I like to call him that. That's my nephew. He he be handling that. <laughs> well, what's up? What's going on, nephew? How you? How's everything over there, man? I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good. DC is going through its little uh, its little storm, which was supposed to be a. a tornado quote-unquote but we don't know what it was it's it's sunny outside it's looking beautiful again the storm is over guys oh man you sound like us you know here in new york we had a monsoon yesterday while parts of new york was snowing ice and parts of jersey was snowing and ice and but all Lord. these you know but it's funny because right now you know we got you know little clouds in the sky sun peeking out every once in the blue but it feels good it's 50 here in new york we ain't even wearing coats around this joint so it's crazy oh y'all are getting <laughs> nice part of it then yes man yes well look man let's talk about what we came here for um they don't realize that we're starting a new series that's really dedicated to reviewing legends like legends in history and you know the people that came before us that showed us the way to become these great entrepreneurs that we see today that have you know paved the way for us man so um absolutely exactly man so in this particular day as many of you guys know i i'm writing a book called the why factors i teach on this and we talk about six distinct areas in life that people uh need to become successful in in order to achieve massive wealth and massive success multi-generational and one thing i wanted to do in this new series was take these same principles that i'm teaching people to do now and showing you how they reflect on people in history and how did they get to the point that where they're at right now? So, me and Keith was sitting here, we're trying to figure out, you know, some cool people to talk about. And then we realized one day, it's Black History Month, right, Keith? You know? It is Black History Month. Yes. And I feel is. like every day is Black History Month, but, you know, <laughs> it's officially Black History Month. It's officially Black History Month. And one thing that we wanted to talk about is a lot of people didn't know, like I said in the intro, about African-American business owners. And they didn't realize that only in the last 130 years, my friend, that we've been able to actually legally own our businesses and our American business structure. And a lot of people don't know, you know, the African-Americans paved the way for all of the immigrants that we see right now who've opened businesses. So, you know, Absolutely. we, we want to highlight a couple great people since it is, you know, February. And our first person we want to highlight is we want to highlight Charles Clinton Spaulding. I think he's an interesting guy. What do you think about him? What do you think about him, Keith? I, um, I think his story is actually phenomenal. I mean, the entire the entire realm of what he created for his life and what he have actually done um, as an African American during his time is actually phenomenal. Yes, it is. It is. So I'm going to give you guys a, a quick little background story. So number one, um, Charles, we can call him CC. CC was actually born August the 1st of 1874. So y'all got to think about this. It's 1874. Crazy. Crazy in America. And he was actually born in Columbus County, North Carolina. Okay. Now, what's dope about that time is that's like right after, you know, your history, that's right after the Civil War. Um yeah, the Civil War. Exactly. Right after the Civil War. And what he was, he was a great black American businessman and community leader. I mean, and what's interesting is his family origin. You know, he had a great grandfather that was uh, used to be a house servant, basically, in Wilmington. And he 
his um grand grandfather left where they were when he became free and then moved into a community of free negroes and free indian farmers so you know cc was literally born in the 1800 but in a free community down in the south that's like crazy right Keith? that's that's wild <laughs> like really really that's crazy good, yeah i mean there's a lot of that's a it's a lot of um uh free historical towns that we actually don't really get to know about in our history books as much as we should know about um I'm glad we're actually getting to reflect on this one outside of you know what we know of, of, of Tulsa, Oklahoma, you know the Harlem Renaissance and we get to see all these um actually southern black towns who actually thrived right after the civil war yes right after the civil war so you know like I do in the book You know, I start off in in my book and every time I'm working with a client, you know, we look at it from six different areas and the first area is spirituality. Now, we believe, and me and you both believe, we know this, that in order to, you know, to overcome anything in life and to achieve anything in life, you got to have some type of spiritual background. Um, I think what's so interesting about uh CC, we can call him CC because I like that. It's a cool ass nickname. Um, but at the end of the day, <laughs> when we when we look, when we look at when we look at CC, um he came from a Southern Baptist church background. Now, Keith, let's talk about that. We both come from that Southern Baptist, you know, church background. Mm-hmm. You know, um If, if if we were to talk to him today you know from what we, was some of the spiritual uh i guess you can say um guidelines that he followed being a southern baptist and achieving what he has achieved because when we look at his life and we're going to talk about this in a lot more depth i mean this guy paved the way for historical black colleges he paved the way for insurance for black people he paid they they used to call him mr mr cooperative uh and, you know he was the man so at the end of the day you know what spiritual let's say protocols or what guidelines do you think that apply to his life to allow him to achieve what he achieved Well, to be honest, uh, I wouldn't be able to I, I wouldn't really be able to say, but I could say that he probably had to have some enduring faith around that time of being a black business owner. Exactly. Um, especially in the south, you know, North Carolina where like, you know, I mean, you you just don't really hear too too many of southern Uh, leaders. I mean, we have our, our our few that we actually do know, Book T. Washington, um, you know, um, George Washington Carver, and for them to have to go through what they they've gone through, I'm, they had to have some impeccable amount of uh, faith to, faith, yes, yeah, just to just to be around it. And I think that was just the one thing that kind of helped them grow into the people yeah. that they are. Exactly, exactly. And when I, when I look at it from a spiritual side, because you know I actually studied this guy, to come to find out at the end, towards the end of his life, he just dedicated it to a uh, political and religious cause. Uh, was on the board of a lot of uh, black churches. Um, actually, was a part, a big part of the development of uh, Christianity and Baptist churches throughout the throughout the South. So when I looked at this, I said, "Wow, you know." His whole life was dedicated towards, you know, being 
uh, an entrepreneur and helping other people achieve entrepreneurship. He believed the same and had the same faith principles as Booker T. Washington. You know, Booker T. Washington believed that instead of us going after and saying, hey, America, can you please give us reparations? It was more about, hey, America, just give us a free opportunity to achieve what you can achieve in life. And we will achieve at the same level or even higher, which we've seen people like Oprah, who's achieved those levels, Bob Johnson, who's achieved those levels recently, Jay-Z and Beyonce, who's achieved these levels, that says if you give us a fair opportunity or a fair chance, we can thrive, we can make things equal. And I truly believe in that. But when you look at this time back then, you know, you had, you know, you had to have faith because it was a lot of injustices that were being done at this time. And there was, you know, when you look back, church played a major role uh, in the black community uh, and it played a major role I mean, throughout any uh, most African Americans lives all the way to this day we we lean more back on our faith than we lean on anything else um, mm-hmm. would you agree with me on on that one Keith? absolutely 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 okay so guys you know we gave you a, a quick little introduction of what we're going to be doing here with CC Spalman um, I'm going to cut this off because you just hit 10 minutes and when we come back me and Keith come back into the next segment what we're going to do is we're going to jump in to two parts of this man's life we're going to talk about health and we're going to talk about family and friends and me and Keith going to kind of break down his family and break down how the connections within his family honestly they built an empire within their connection so Keith without further ado let's give everybody a little break let them digest a little bit of the information that we're talking about and we'll be back shortly check you guys later Hey guys, and welcome back. Uh, Keith Carey and Sean Ryan over here on part two of CC Spallin's life of the review of the Y Factor. So Keith, like we said before, we're talking about CC Spallin. And if you guys don't know who that is, that is Charles Clinton Spallin, uh, born in August. Huh? Oh no, I was gonna say go right ahead. Oh, August first, eighteen seventy-four. So right now, what we're gonna be uh, speaking about a little bit and talking about right now is two Y factors. We're going to be talking about health and we're going to be talking about family and friends. Now, you know, back then, uh, you know, especially in the South, if we look at the history of most African-Americans, we didn't eat too healthy. (laughs) We (laughs) did not at all. (laughs) We didn't eat too healthy back then. Um, One thing I can see is that, uh, you know, when he was a child, when he was going through school and different things like that, he used to be a dishwasher, he was a waiter, he was a bellhop, he was an office boy, he had multiple jobs, and we're going to get in depth with that when we start talking about the profession. But one key thing was he was a farmer. He was raised on the farm with his family. Um, you know, a little bit of a reflection with me. You know, I was uh, partially raised on the farm because when my uh, grandparents were both living, they actually were farmers, and I, I got to see how they used to grow cotton and corn and soybeans and all of that stuff, and they had their own chickens and pigs and literally own self-contained uh, uh, food system 
um, so when we go back into the 18, you know, 1874, when we look at the health, most people wasn't that concerned about health um, per se. And then even when we look at health, the health options that we had back then were totally different. Um, most of uh, the doctors back then, you didn't go to white doctors, you went to African-American or colored doctors. Um, and then those colored doctors were limited to the amount of resources of medical uh, research uh, that many of the, uh, per se, European or uh, white Americans actually had. Um, but what's interesting about, um, you know, CeCe's life, I got to say, is the fact of the matter that it seems to me, you know, from what me and you've researched, uh, Keith, he had a pretty healthy life, you know. Uh, we don't see any sicknesses or anything or ailments. Um, and one thing that I've learned that is key to being successful in business is really taking care of yourself. Um, Keith, I give you more props on this than me because um, Keith knows I love to uh, eat a good juicy steak from time to time. He knows that I, I'll be going to help you. I'll go to McDonald's. I'll go to, you know, it's not always Chipperonis with me. Um, but um, <laughs> Keith, but Keith, is, Keith eats very healthy. Um, and Keith, I want you to kind of reflect on the difference right now of looking at 1874 as an entrepreneur and eating. And why is it so important right now in 2020 to eat the way that you do as an entrepreneur, I think that you would be able to talk a little bit better on that than I would, um, because you take care of yourself. You, you know, you hit the gym, you eat the right way. So, no, I, I, I would say that I try my best to. <laughs> I definitely try my best to. I won't say I'm 100% with it, but I'm definitely better than what I was when I was younger. Um, I mean, to be honest, like looking at our history, we've always we still eat pretty much the same thing, you know. We as black people love our soul food, you know, and depending on where you are demographically, you're nine times out of ten eating, you know, the all the like pork and red meat and collard greens and you know, mac and cheese is all sounds cool right right now. <laughs> but like, you know, it's uh it's hard to kind of keep that down and, and have a sustainable life with an unhealthy diet, you know. And I feel like you know, now we're in the age of more consciousness on our diets. Right. And rather than just eating it just because, you know, that's what we've been eating the entire time, that, you know, we know know that we need to eat a little uh, more greens in our diet than the more meat that we have for have a fruit instead of having, you know, some piece of candy or, or cake or anything like that but I think that with his you know his status and and the economy and his wealth that would allow him to at least eat healthier which I mean you don't really see any like health issues until up until you know he passed which was yeah. uh you know and that's that's that that kind of shows like he was at least somewhat into you know making sure that you know he was he was probably fit to be honest you know i think i feel like um uh we especially as americans nowadays are we're a little more lazier compared to our predecessors who grew up within those times who had to like walk uh you know several miles just to get to you know a grocery store or a school or something like that you know so and i'm i'm sure he was a you know he was at least blessed to be able to have, you know, maybe a car or something like that, but, you know, still probably kept himself in enough shape that he would be able to, you know, 
live a nice, healthy life and be able to help raise his kids, his children, and, you know, take care of his family and his business. That business was running. It still is running to this day. You know, that's one of those foundating type of companies that you we don't actually hear about too often in a uh, black society. Right, right. And you know what? I think you know. I want to. I want to piggyback on everything because we're gonna work this from health going into right now, going into uh, profession. Because number one, he left his family farm uh, when he finished up high school, and he finished up high school at twenty three. So you got to remember, this is back in the eighteen hundreds. Uh, we're not even talking about higher education. They wasn't letting us into Harvard or Yale or any of those founding schools. Right. Like so you know, the, the highest school we were going to was um, high school. And I think what's interesting about this is that he became a dishwasher, like I said before, a waiter, a bellhop, and an office boy. But in, 19, in 1898, he became a manager of a all-black cooperative grocery store. And this grocery store, why they call it a cooperative? Because right. they were actual uh, farmers that were all through uh, Columbus County, I mean, Durham, Durham, excuse me. And they would allow the farmers to put all of their stuff within this grocery store, and they would share the profit among the farmers amazing 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 um and what's interesting about that is he won himself a managerial position in a couple other black businesses which is the one we're talking about right now north carolina mutual life insurance company which is really our big topic of what me and uh, keith want to actually actually explain because it really did change the way uh that we look at african-american entrepreneurs so what's interesting is is you know he had to have good health practices because if you look at something if you're working in a grocery store and you're constantly around you know you know different uh food options and different things like that it does allow you to kind of you know tell it uh something towards uh something towards a very healthy dietorial lifestyle and on top of that like mm-hmm. you said keith th- it is true the more money that we do make the healthier that we do become because we do get exposed to uh, a better quality of food i think what's Absolutely. so i think what's so interesting is a lot of people don't realize that you know you know the main company and, and let's talk about uh uh now his profession when we look at this man he did a dishwasher he was a, a, a waiter he was a bellhop he was an office boy um he became a manager at a grocery store but i think the interesting part is when he went into business uh technically with his uncle uh, which was dr uh arian and more and john uh mercury because john uh was the original founder of the idea of the north carolina you know mutual life uh, insurance company and but the brainchild behind it was cc cc who we're talking about right now Charles was literally the brainchild behind this, and it was a brainchild behind what we call, they used to call them Black Captains of Industry. Did you know that? Black Captains of Industry. They called them the capital, you know, Durham, North Carolina at one point used to be called the capital of Black middle class. Did you know that? It's crazy. I did not. Yes, that was the capital. So, what's interesting enough, um, you know, in the process of running his grocery store, believe it or not, he uh, ended up having to sell his rights inside of the grocery store and uh, ended up putting himself in debt. I think what kills me is people don't realize that we always put ourselves in debt behind something that we truly have a passion or love for. Because this guy ended up putting himself in debt. And then in the next in the next breath, you know, keep getting himself out of debt. It was $300 in debt, which was big back then. It was like being $30,000 or $300,000 in debt. And then all of a sudden, by the end of his life, having $40 million in assets. That's crazy. That's, that's crazy. That's wild. But crazy. Good fights. You know, sometimes 
you know, I hear Gary V talking about this all the time. I'm, how how much willing are you, you know, willing to take, you know, are you willing to fall flat on your face, you know, to to possibly actually make a better situation in your life? With, you know, that, like, being said, with that being said, Keith, we're going to cut this episode right there. I want you guys to think on this and then join us for the second part of this when we get more in depth about profession, family, and friends. Peace. Uh, once again, guys, Keith, Carrie, and Sean Ryan back at it on the Why Factors Review of Legends. Today, we're talking about CC Spaulding, uh, Charles Clinton. Uh, so we left off with Keith talking about a little bit about Gary Vee and talking about sacrificing. Uh, that's what Keith left off at. And he was talking about Gary always asked, you know, how much are you willing to sacrifice in order to get what you really want? Uh, I think what's interesting about, you know, uh, CC is the fact of the matter that in his sacrifice he still looked within his sources of family and friends uh, come to find out he got married uh, and he ended up having four kids from his wife um, and sadly and tragically his wife died in like uh, 1919 um, and I think an interesting part about it is about 18 months later he ended up getting married again to a second wife and stayed married to her all the way to his death and she ended up dying in uh, 1972. I think the interesting part is if you look at that dynamic and a lot of men and I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to talk on a personal note for this is a conversation to black men um you know the greatest thing I ever learned from Think and Grow Rich we all know that book from Napoleon Hill was the last chapter mm-hmm. of it talking about the controlling of your lower libretro and a lot of people don't realize and i think especially when it comes to us as african-american males you know um not not to diss anybody you know we have characteristics and features that makes us extra sexy especially when we're hip-hop artists or we're athletes you know no disrespect to no one you know no disrespect guys um but we got the juice we got the juice you know and and, you know at the end of the day um that appealing one of the biggest problems with a lot of um us as african-american men we get ourselves hung up with women you know it doesn't matter what color the women are or who they are we 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 get ourselves hung up with um our lower libitro and not really focusing in on having the the woman or the man and this goes for my women that are listening to or the man that is going to propel us forward in life or take us to a higher purpose in life um so when i look at the way that where where cc came from he came from a family that his great-grandfather was it had a wife you know his father had a wife his mother he came from having both parents in a home and what we've seen over the last couple generations especially in african-american culture after the 60s is the breakup of the american the black american home and the breakup and what we haven't noticed is this great one of the greatest economical booms between the 1900s to 1930 for african americans which actually started down here in durham um and at the end of the day 90 percent, as i was doing my research of these people were married with multiple kids so you know you know keith i, I come from what uh seven eight eight of us is eight of us <laughs> 
you come from four you know black uh, black people are known seven. for having I come from old, seven yeah seven excuse me seven excuse me um you know black people are known for having multiple children multiple kids we're known for having family and we're known to wanting to pass something along you know generation to generation and i think you know one of the biggest lessons that we all have to learn especially as black men right now is to look at a man's life like this and he didn't give himself no time for his little libitro to be like oh i want to run around here and i need you know a million girlfriends or in the case of these the, the new age women right now you know girls flaunting their entire bodies on instagram right now and you know getting paid to show you know a little cleavage um totally different different you know misconception of how business is supposed to be ran and a total misconception of how we're supposed to build multi-generational wealth so when i look at this guy you know a year and a half later because he knew he had kids and he knew he wanted to still build his business he found a great woman who he never had kids by but she took care of his kids and mm-hmm. him and allowed him to be great just think about that keith like allowed him to grow and be great and i think you know a lot of men and women okay this goes for my black women too they don't have the right support system behind them and i feel that the you know that support system got tainted because of the fact of the matter that the parents before us didn't do the job they were supposed to do so keith when we look at it that way how can we like look at cc and look at how he ran his life all his all his all his children by one woman all four of them beautiful ended up getting married to another person after his wife died tragically stayed with that same woman and he focused all his energy on building a business what most people don't realize is if you think with your lower parts you can't think with your head do you agree with me keith mm-hmm. <laughs> That's you, know, how, you know how you can you do this you gotta keep your head in the right place both you gotta keep both of your heads in the right places so when we look at this guy's life you know this guy started as a dishwasher waiter bellhop i like to repeat these because people look at these jobs as oh you know they used to call these jobs negro jobs back in the day and what's funny right now we call these jobs mexican jobs mexicans are the ones that's doing you know spanish people do the uh dishwashing and uh and the waitering now and the bellhop it's so funny because america has this stigmata about it that you know when a immigrant uh generation comes into it during that transitional period we all have to do the bottom of the barrel jobs it's really kind of messed up and then it's like you know a few of us spring off of that and whoever springs off of that becomes large so when you look at a company that was founded in 1898 north carolina mutual your boy becomes over gener- 30 years after uh yes. the civil war okay and now what i want you to look at is you have to look at he became general manager cc became general manager in 1900 so that is 120 120 years ago by 1910 the company had boosted to being the world's largest negro business period so by 1910 this guy owned the largest black business in the world period two of the original founders like i told you his uncle dr um moore um and john Merck. now john Merck, we're gonna you're gonna do something uh, on John, um, because John is interesting because he is the pioneer of really the black barbershops and the whole like the whole layout of how you know um, the study of you know how black people hair is different than everybody else's hair. You know, um, so I really want to talk about John. John's going to be a very interesting person. We're going to talk about him a little bit later. Now, 
as he growed this by 1923 he became president of it and he actually from the time until his death he enjoyed in, he had an international reputation for being america's leading businessman so until he died which i think is crazy he died on august the 1st 1952 the same day he was born he died i always tell people epic people leave this world epic and he not only which kills me keith he not only bro was like the head honcho in charge of north carolina mutual but he also had you know financial institutions that he was involved with of mechanic and farmers bank which we all know who farmers bank is uh, mm-hmm. uh bankers fire insurance company uh mutual savings and loan associations he became like a leader of durham periods both social and political and That's then, amazing. it is then with that high school education he becomes a trustee on North Carolina College. He goes to Shaw, he becomes a trustee on Shaw University, he becomes a trustee at Howard University, and he fought for the enhancement of black education through Jim Crow laws, which I think is amazing. Totally amazing. But as every professional, every professional has to have a mentor. And I think one of the coolest things, his key mentor that he was highly influenced by was Booker T. Washington. And we all know about Booker T. Washington because we learn about him in in high school, no matter where you mean, well, middle school, mm-hmm. elementary school, no matter where you at. But he was most, and I, I kind of realized why, and I had to talk about this, you know, before we end this segment and we jump into our last part of this. Um, I want you to reflect on this, Keith. It's pretty interesting how this guy got pushed in the shadows and Booker T. Washington got put on the platform. Now, I say this is because Booker T. Washington came up with a philosophy, and that philosophy is something that white america believe it or not a good majority of white america can agree with good majority of white america believes that no they shouldn't give us any reparations anything but they should offer us um the freedom to achieve what we need to achieve equally so it's pretty interesting because the difference in cc's philosophy a little bit in booker t's but CC was constantly building businesses and building institutions that were giving back to public funds and giving back to black institutions and giving back to black communities. Um, he learned that he learned that from doing what that grocery store that was a co-op that all the farmers came in and all the farmers made money off of that co-op. So there was a community that was yeah. actually a form of um, what's what's the word I want to use? Um, well, camaraderie one. Like, I mean, yeah. we were stronger. To be honest, that's, I mean, I think that's the one thing that we felt. We're not uniform enough. We're not, we're not, yeah. you know, we don't have, like, you know, they had one farmer who probably grew strawberries, another farmer who grew corn, another farmer who did, um, you know, livestock and everything like that. And then they came together and, you know, put together something that actually helped out the community and was able to profit off of it together. You know, and I was watching something, um, I think it was the Breakfast Club and they had uh they had a gentleman on there. I got I can't remember his name at the time. Maybe I'll get it uh next time. But uh what he was saying was was that the the problem with us in the black society is the fact that we don't individually have our own things to control then actually bring our resources that we've gained from that together in order to actually win and that's how we get ahead of life exactly exactly now with that being said keith has ended this episode guys come back for the last part 
in the next few seconds. Check you later. Peace. Again with Keith Carey and Sean Ryan, we're summing up our review on CC Spalding, and he was one of what we call the most successful, influential African American business owners of the 21st century. Like we said before, he was born on August 1st, 1874, on a small, small farm in North Carolina, out in Whiteville. Uh, you mean 20th century 20th century yeah 20th century oh 20th century thank you great correction so guys what we want to talk about is the last part of his life right now you know we want to talk about environment and impact so in the book um i talk about and in my teachings as i'm working with clients i talk about how environment and impact is the biggest thing in the world all of us wants to move or wants to go to the next level um when it comes down to our environment we might be in a, a house that we're in right now but that's not our dream home we might be in an office that we're in or a business that we're in right now but it's not really the dream business that we want or the office that we want and then when we look at impact if you have children like myself and keep looking at what are you going to pass along multi-generational to these kids you know what is it that you're going to hand off to them to make their life fifty thousand times better than yours so I think this is going to be really fun Keith because when we look at this guy and we looked at what he did let's 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 just go back uh first thing I want to talk to you guys about something that we me and Keith found that was interesting first thing uh Benjamin his father um Benjamin his father he was one he was his, his great-grandfather um, excuse me was actually from a mixed background uh he was uh his uh mother was native american and um and his father was black and he ended up getting married and having nine children which those nine children one of them was benjamin jr who was your uh who was i mean excuse me was uh mary spalding who was actually ended up being his mother now when we look at this she was one of nine descendants they ended up having 76 grandkids but what's so powerful about it is that's wild yes that's wild what's so powerful about it is the nephew uh of cc so this is how it was so funny you know this is the great grandson of uh benjamin the nephew who came into the business uh and worked with john ultimately took that family tree from being you know indentured servants and formerly being slaves to building multi-million dollar generational wealth for his entire family and i think that is crazy now i think what's even more profound about this is the legacy that they've honestly built this man has built legacies not only for his family, but also legacies when it comes down to historical black colleges. Okay, so you got number one. He was one of the one of six incorporators of the National Religious Training School, which is now North Carolina Central University. So this man understood how important it was to educate. 
you know, right now we live in a very unique world because every African-American person who's listening to this podcast right now has a iPhone or a, you know, Android. And at the end of the day, they can research, they can learn, they can get on Coursera. We don't even have to go to college anymore. All you got to do is be disciplined enough to pull the right resources together and study extremely hard in order for us to achieve the goals that we want in life. Now, a lot of times we make excuses, Keith. We, we both make excuses. I, you know, I make excuses for my my environment. You make excuses for yours. You know, mm-hmm. Keith want to Keith want to be up here in New York with me. Um, but at the same time, yeah, at the exact same time, you understand the importance <laughs> of us building a company there in DC, the, the DMV area, because that's honestly where we was raised at. We're not from there. Me and Keith both was, you know, born up up upstate. But at the end of the day, we were raised down in that DMV area. And uh, we want to be able to, we want to be able to give back to it, but we also know that you can't become a king in your own territory. So it was almost one of the reasons why I left Virginia and moved to New York, um, because I know that you you can't become a king in your own territory for some reason. And I, you know what? Go, his, I have a I think I have a philosophy on that. Okay, go ahead. It's because in order for you to become a king, you had to first seen and conquered the rest of the world. Alexander the Great didn't become Alexander the Great just by you know, staying at, uh, staying in Greece and just conquering Greece. He became Alexander the Great by going to Persia, going to India, going to Egypt, you know, and conquering those places and then coming back to say, look what I've done. I've conquered all these places. Now I am, now I am a king, you know, it's, it's, you know, and I think that's where, um, yeah, you know, I think that's where that actually honest uh, kingship comes from. Like you have to go out and you have to go out into the world and conquer it yourself for your own realm. You totally, 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 totally are correct. And I think that a lot of people don't even realize, like even when you look at him, people say, well, Sean, he still stayed in North Carolina. No, he left Columbus County. He moved to Durham because Durham was up and coming. He moved in with his uncle. He changed environments when he was right after he got out of high school at 23 years old. He changed environments and he moved in with his uncle and his uncle had um, actually owned barbershops out there. So that's how he ended up doing the barbershop stuff. And then John, his good friend, owned the uh, head, was the head of the grocery store. That's how he ended up getting the grocery store. And then him John, his uncle, all of them came together with several other people and they ended up starting this company. Now, what I think was so crazy about it is they started out with seven founders and by 1900, they only had three founders because a lot of people gave up on the dream. And that's another problem that we have a lot. You know, Keith, like a lot of people, you'll tell them, okay, let's leave Egypt. (laughs) You know, I like to put in a biblical term. Let's leave, let's leave, you know, Maryland. Let me leave Windsor, Virginia. Let's go to New York, Keith. And then we'll get to New York and it'll be me, it'll be you, be three other people. And then three other people will be like, man, I miss my mama. I got to go back to my mama. My mama had this happen to her. And you got one person who's saying, hey, man, you know, I got my kids down here. I can't be away from my kids. It's not going the way that I want it to. Then you got one other person who's saying, you know, well, you know, Keith, Man, Sean, the money ain't come in yet. We've been working this. Now, no, that this started what seven? Whoa, what it? Uh, ninety? We talking about nineteen ninety eight? And nineteen eight? Eighteen ninety eight? Excuse me, eighteen ninety eight. And then you talking about three years later? And in three years, the majority of people had quit, and they quit at the wrong time. Because the minute they quit, that's when CC ended up becoming the manager. CC quickly expanded. By 1984, the company had sold policies in South Carolina, and by 1908, they had over 100,000 
clients. So look at how when they had the big team of seven, they didn't get shit done. And then when they narrowed it down to three people and then look for the high quality people and get the clients in, they got stuff done. And then what was so smart about him, he teamed up with medical medical physicians. He teamed up with the federal government. This guy was brilliant. Matter of fact, he joined President um, um, Hoover's Federal Relief Committee um, because he knew so much about insurance. And during the Great Depression, his insurance company survived because how he made his most money is these people didn't have any money, so they had to claim their policies. So you're talking about impacting the world, impacting the group, being an American icon. These people back in the 1800s paid into these policies that when the whole United States government went under, these people were able, even though they couldn't go to the bank and get their money out of the bank, they could go to their insurance person and get a check and still keep their farms going. You're talking about impact, Keith? Impact. And then me and Keith also learned, uh, me and Keith were talking about this guy was smart enough that during World War II, he assisted the U.S. government in selling war bonds to African Americans and invested a large percentage of the actual company in the bonds. So by 1948, he was known as an American business icon. And by that time, this little country boy for Columbus County was visiting Europe back and forth. Talking about a change of environment, Keith. Talking about, you know, mm-hmm. like establishing yourself. And he got to live to see 78 years old. And they said the biggest thing was he was optimistic. He understood industry. And he knew that he was going to be a great influence for generations to come when it came to African Americans. Now, when you think about that, Keith, just think about it, man. Like, it's a crazy story. Like, this guy. Like when we look at everything that we look at now, historical black colleges, when we're looking at um, insurance right now, when it comes to African Americans, when we look at you know black communities, Black Wall Street, um, this guy was one of the pioneers, but most people don't even know about him. It's crazy, mm-hmm. you know. It, it's crazy. Very it's crazy. It's crazy. And it would kill me. It was, they, um, I was looking at something, and, and it was a letter from W. E. Of W.E.B. Du Bois that we all know that was actually sent to uh, C.C. during the time of the Great Depression talking about how of a superior businessman that he was and how he actually operated his business more effectively and more efficiently than most insurance companies back then that were for white people. This guy was a monster. Probably because he did it with some integrity too. The integrity has a lot to do with it. Exactly, exactly. Now, I think the interesting thing that we want to end with, because uh, me and Keith like to end on, on a great note, even though this guy, you know, he died in, um, on his birthday um, in 1952, the main thing that we want to talk about is the impact that he really had. You know, today, North Carolina Mutual Life, which if you want to know the stock symbol, yes, the stock symbol, NCML is the oldest and largest African-American life insurance company in the entire nation. Period. That's wow. Wow. It it is wow. Okay, and it is the primarily responsible for the expansion of property holding in black areas. Period. Throughout the entire South. That is the crazy part. The craziest part. The craziest part. And it just blows my mind because at one point in North Carolina, this guy owned the tallest building that any african-american owned in the entire world that's what we call achievement that is what we call greatness 
he not only did that most people don't even know that company pioneered and financially helped the ywca which ultimately came to ymca and it also helped white rock baptist church which is a really really big church that did a lot of uh, big movements back in the civil rights time so with that being said y'all you know me and keith took 30 minutes out of our life to sit here and give you guys like a cool history lesson y'all heard us slip up and cuss a couple times you heard us you know kind of (laughs) kind of say what we wanted to say and this is going to be a new series that me and him going to do every friday and we're going to get it even polished up even more y'all it's going to be more decisive this is like our first part of this season one of this series um next week thank you guys for joining us yes please thank you and no this is going to be all chopped up and edited um y'all gonna have a couple little clips that's going to be on instagram but for the most part everyone who is actually on the product diversity network so this is a new thing that we're doing right now in order for you to hear the full stint of the podcast you have to be on the network so we will no longer have any full version, a full episode of any show that we have. Conversations over cocktails that's about to start. Um, the Y Factors interviews with me and Broadway. Um, anything that we've been talking about from my experience, the whole nine yard. Um, starting officially, guys, February 1st, there's nothing worth value for free in life. Uh, let me repeat that again to y'all. There's nothing worth value that's free in life. So except I feel, for air, except for air, air ain't free either. If you if you don't believe me, then why we got all these toxins going through the air? You can't Ooh, clean them up. So air ain't free. Either. So at the end of the day, that part, yo, I just want y'all to understand, we are gonna give you highlights for free on Instagram and all of this other stuff like that. But if you really want to know the meats and bones, I mean, come on, three bucks to get education and also to support especially to everyone who's out there who are african-americans and want us to support your business i mean what is three dollars to support ours and actually get good information and to get good things that are that are is that impact you that takes your community to the next level because we're gonna be good me and keith already know the random empire is on the way the question is is your empire on the way is your why factors moving we got things moving i mean shoot i got two i got a brother and a sister both got a book out right now one of them, my sister and is his mother <laughs> so, <laughs> so at the end of the day all of us the random clan is moving i got you know one sister buying real estate in victorian homes in in, in freaking uh uh, Newark, New Jersey. You know, I got I got yeah. one sister, one sister that speaks multiple languages. Who's a school teacher? Who's uh putting a son that's right now going to VMI? Think about this. He's a young black boy going to Virginia Military Institute. Look, we building an empire for our family. Okay, we're doing what we need to do. What we want to do is help you guys build an empire for yours. And we feel like, hey, three dollars a month just to learn the basics with us—that is nothing. So, with that being said, Keith, you got anything extra to say before we pop off? No, just live life and continue being the best black person you could be. Yes, yes, yes. Well, continue being the best person you could be in general. Period. <laughs> period. Period. So look, with that being said, me and Keith will see you guys next fucking Friday. Oh my God, I cussed again. I'm sorry about that. Me and Keith will see y'all next Friday. Um, we'll be better on the potty mouths. And um, guess what? Next week, guys, yo, to all my ladies out there, next week, we're highlighting a woman, a.k.a. Oprah. 
So I'm just gonna let y'all know that. I'm gonna, we gonna put y'all on. It ain't Oprah, it ain't Rosa Parks, it ain't none of the people that y'all think it is. We're gonna highlight another black millionaire that y'all probably didn't even know about. Um, so all you ladies, make sure y'all stay tuned next week. With that being said, Keefin, myself, we're out. Talk to you later. Peace. Peace.